The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I will be your host for today's episode. And this is episode number 138. Now, today we're going to have an interview, and this is a little bit different than some of the interviews we've done lately. We're going to be interviewing Branislav Jankik. Branislav was born in 1985 in Vukovar, formerly Yugoslavia. He's an artist and photographer living and working in New York. He was educated in Germany, and he worked in Europe learning photography. When his mother, a former prescription drug and alcohol addict, was diagnosed with lung cancer in November 2012, Jankik, who had experienced his own struggles with addiction throughout his teenage years, began writing a letter to his mother expressing his regrets for their dismantled relationship and his misunderstanding of her struggles, hoping to show both love and forgiveness. Letter to My Mother is a visual and literary body of work created by artist Branislav Jankic that seeks to raise awareness of and change the conversation around addiction in order to lift the stigma and create an international support system for those suffering from this disease, particularly mothers. Without further ado, let's talk to Branislav Jankic. Bronislav, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really, I appreciate you sharing your story with us. So I know that um, like most recently, you, you, or over the last couple of years, we, you did a documentary called Letter to My Mother, but give it, give me the backstory on that when, you know, like kind of how that started and also what I read about, you said you had your own issue with drugs and alcohol. So tell me about that. Well, um, Letter to My Mother, um, it started uh, first as a book. Um, so uh, my mother was an um, alcohol and drug addict um, for many years before she passed away in 2014. And uh, our relationship, um, mine and hers, wasn't really the best because of it. I just, I just, didn't, I just wasn't informed enough or basically I just always always thought that addiction is something like that alcohol addiction is something she chose to do and um, she went in and out of rehab and um, and whenever she got back I said okay now it's going to work out and then she relapsed again and so I always was angry at her and so my way of dealing with it was running away as, as, as far as I can so with my work I was traveling and so I decided to live in the United States which then became my home and so this was kind of a way of me dealing sometimes seeing her sometimes um, talking to her but I was trying to be far and not allowing this to not allowing our relationship to get any closer and then in 2013 my brother called me and said you know um, our mom has one year left to live she has um, terminal lung cancer and uh, now it's he said like you should you should come back and you should um, you should be here, and so this for me was just like a really big shock because um, suddenly this, this time frame was such an, an, an enormous amount of pressure, which I felt like everything up until then I did wrong, and um, I didn't know how to cope with it. I didn't know how to deal with this, uh, basically knowing that she will not be here in a year. And and this whole still she's had a um, really strong alcohol addiction and pill addiction, which 
So now I have to go back and be there for her and, and find a way to console all the time that was lost that I wasn't there. And so I felt like that was, this just wouldn't work. I felt like innerly that was something that I, I will fail to do. I will not be able to tell her that I'm sorry. I will not be able to ask for forgiveness. I will not be able to console any of that. So I decided, um, I had an idea, like I started to write a letter and I said, okay, I will write everything I wanted to tell her in a letter. And, um, and I did try that many times and kind of failed. And then I just, you know, was kind of lost. And um, then I was looking online and saying, okay, I want to like see if, if I'm, if I can find any other people like me, like children that I could basically talk to and say, maybe we, we share the same experience growing up like that with a parent and maybe they will have a, like, a, like some sort of like a, um, something to tell me the way I should deal with it. And once I started looking into it, um, into the AA and to other programs, I realized that there is very little that people talk about it when it comes to mothers. Um, it was, I was basically looking into the dark and realized uh, everything should be anonym. I can go there. I can basically be there, do the program by myself. And, and I did that many times, but like there was nowhere where I could really talk to someone personally about it. I could not get to the people I really wanted to get. And that brought me to the idea to, I realized, okay, there is something that I could do for my mother. I could start with this letter that I have for her and, and the portrait that I took of her along with the self-portrait. And this, and then take that as the basic idea to do something. And I didn't really know what it will be. All I knew is I wanted to find women mothers like her. And um, I wanted to do it in America because I consider, consider it my home. This is where I feel. I feel American and I wanted to do it there. And so I just said, like, let's, I talked to my producer, my friend, and I said, let's, let's just go and let's see if we can do something like that. And um, first, we, we encountered an enormous amount of problem. Everybody we talked to said, this is not good. This is negative. This is, you want to expose people. Uh, this is not right. Um, the AA, everybody we talked to, people just put down the phone. We even got some threats, like death threats, people saying, like, why would you, like, you want to expose my, my family? Like, don't you dare coming here. Um, but somehow we were really lucky. We, we, through friends of us and friends of the friends, they started saying, like, you know, one, one friend of us said, like, well, I have a mother in Texas and she's, she's a counselor. She's an addiction counselor. Maybe you should talk to her. And uh, her name is Sherry Layton. And I talked to her, told her my story, what I wanted to do. And she said, yeah, I like it. I think it's a good story. And you should come down to Texas. There is a big conference. And maybe you can meet some people there. And so this is how basically it started. I, um, I went on, my friend and I, we took the big cameras, large format camera, and went literally across the States. And um, with the help of Sherry Layton, we... Um, we met more and more people that allowed us to allow me to share my story. And then they agreed to, to be part of the project. So the first um, part of the project was a book, which was basically a collection of the photographs I took of the mothers and their children. And if they didn't have the custody, uh, we just have a blank page or a picture that they gave me later. And I told them that I will share my letter um, there and then if they want they can write a letter to their children and vice versa and so that's how it was it was basically a collection of those letters and um and the photographs so that that's how the project started you know it thank you for sharing that you know 
it's interesting to me that people attacked you for what you were trying to do. Um, you know, to the degree that we put a stigma on addiction and we don't talk about it and we don't educate people about it. I mean, that's the bad part of it as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you know, we've been doing the podcast almost three years and our whole purpose is to shed light on it and to tell stories like you. We have had mothers on here. We had a woman on here who was born in a crack baby. And there's so many different aspects of the stories. And I, it just, it frustrates me that people would say that to you that, you know, you were doing something wrong because if we don't all like confront this situation and shed whatever light on it that we can, it's not going to get fixed. And I, I, I like your approach. I, I think it's, I think it's a good approach. Would, so were you ever able to talk to your mom about it? You know, I told her what I, what I'm, what I was, what I'm, I told her a little bit, I'm, I'm doing these portraits and, and, and I didn't want to tell her because I, I had this belief and this like really um, crazy idea that I will be able to finish this before she, before she passed away. And uh -huh. unfortunately, I, you know, my, my motivation, everything I, I worked on, I, I felt the story, the stories that people shared with me, I, I felt that was so intense, that was so moving. And that I felt we're doing something here and this will be easy to bring to, to the publisher to the next step. And um, unfortunately, it wasn't like that. So that the first um, that, um, execution of these portraits were actually the easiest part. And I can tell you afterwards, we printed the, the pictures and we had everything ready. And I didn't ask anyone for money. I just needed the publisher. So I can tell you I had... I, if I don't lie, I had probably around 500 meetings around the world with all kinds of people from New York Times to anywhere, any other publication, any other person I could meet in the art world, in the publishing, um, any, anyone. And everybody was feeling something when they saw it. And some people had tears. But most of the time, we're just like, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to help you what do you want from me? I said like, well, I don't need any, I don't need money. I, I already, everything is produced already. All I need is someone to stay behind because I'm a young artist. I cannot publish this on my own. Right. And um, the feedback from a lot of distributions came that this is way too intense and no one wants to read about it. No one wants to know about it. This is way too small. And New York Times, for example, and I can tell you 2014, I, I kept even a cover of the magazine just because it was on the cover it was um the title was mother informant addict and it was such a terrible um it was such a terrible article and they told me they said you know this is not for our readers this is very small group and it doesn't concern us and i think we think it's way too intense we don't want that and um from my wow. experience after that I mean, just wow. I have to. I just have to say, wow. That's that's so nutty to me. Sorry. Go ahead. It was, yeah, it was just you know. I said to them, I, I feel like you're not seeing the big picture. I think this is a, a national problem. Problem. We have this in our country. We have to. We have to start looking at it. I will never get fixed. The people who need help, they are not asking because of that. This kind of reaction because you're turning back because you're looking at a man perhaps who had the same problem with some sort of like. 
okay, maybe he, he had to work harder or something like that. Maybe you close one eye, but the moment you look at the woman, the moment you look at a mother, you're already judging in such a way that is, you, you, you crucify that person just by, by the way you, you're looking up or from or at them. And uh, that uh, doesn't allow the people to, to share their story, to basically ask for help. And I think even the AA itself, the first rule, anonym, it's, I think it's a big problem on its own, right? right? It's like, I felt with my mother, we had to, we, we, we were told to not tell anyone in the neighborhood. So basically right. we came back home and said, well, let's, you know, let's just, that, that stays between us. Nobody should know and no one should ever know, which is, it just doesn't, you know, it's just going to create a cycle that's never going to stop. You know? It doesn't get fixed. It doesn't get fixed. Now, you, did you have your own issues, your own personal issues with drugs and alcohol? Yes, um, at some point, you know, I had um, my, my brother and I, we grew up in former Yugoslavia during the um, early years of the civil war. And um, when my mother basically smuggled us into Germany. And um, then when she started to get the problem with alcohol, drugs, and so she basically like not neglected us, but she didn't really know what we were doing. And so that was kind of my way in slowly with the, not not the right group of friends starting like to do to drink very early in a very early age and then starting to like smoke pot and then from the pot to harder drugs and I found myself in in a really difficult time where I didn't really know if I want to go to the rehab where my mother was and I felt like that was not something what I wanted to do and um, then I searched for help in in, in Europe basically in Europe in in somewhere where I used to, when I started my grad, um, my master, sorry, my art school. And um, with good friends and with good mentor that I live right now here, they kind of helped me and said like, you know, you need help. And it took some time, but um, I, I was able to, to find my way out. That, that's awesome. Did that, did your own experience help you understand a little bit more about what your mom was going through? Um, like I said, not really. I felt um as my i felt when i did it i was ignorant i was rebellish and i just wanted to do what i wanted to do and i felt that was sort of my choice and when i stopped i also felt through sports i could just like find my way out and i was like well you know it it was my choice to stop i didn't realize that it, it, it is not like that so i actually thought that she just did it because she she wanted it and i felt like she she chooses this over us over me and my brother and i felt always like i was really angry at her like my whole adult life up until like she passed away, i was really really angry because I, I just believed that she just did it purposely i understand while i think it starts with a choice i think once the addiction takes over you are correct it is no longer a choice most people cannot just choose to stop like you did because once it takes hold, it takes hold. Branislav, tell me about making your film. Tell me some of the stories about the mothers that you interviewed. Um, so the film, it was, um, like I said, we were, it took many years to get the publisher um, for the book. And eventually in 2016, two years after my mother passed, this young publisher in Italy said, you know, I like the project. I think there is something there and I'll trust you. I'll, I'll believe in you and I'll, let's do it. Let's do a small batch and see how it goes. And so we did. Uh, the book came out in uh, January 2016 um, in the European market, but it wasn't still available for sale. 
And so he said, you need to do something. You need to either make an exhibition or something because he needs to get to the distribution and it will only get to distribution if you do some sort of an event. Right. And so I planned this exhibition, which again, no one wanted to do. No one in New York said, you know, this is something good. No one wanted to see those portraits. They said like, you know, art world is still very um, aesthetically moved. So they are looking at something like that. It's very like, I don't know. I don't remember it like that. Even to everybody have somebody in the family or friends who has the same issues that felt, you know, this is way too intense. I don't understand why. And I just wasn't at the, I'm still at maybe uh, still not am, you know, at, at the level where I could just say, well, let's do it. And they would trust my name. I'm not right. There. Right. Um, so, but when we were able to do it, you know, we found the right people who then trusted me and, and some friends pulled favors and we were able to do this. So because it was such a difficult project to, to pull out, well, my producer and best friend, Goran Matsura, who uh, produced the whole project, he said, you know what, we should film this. We should, we should film the way the exhibition goes up. And it's supposed to be only as a contextual, whenever we show this project, it should be just help people understand what it's really about. Right. So it was never meant to be a film. It was hmm. never meant to be a short film or anything like that. So we just start filming. And, um, and then some of the women who I photographed uh, in, the, in, the, in the book, they said, you know what, we, we, we're uh, the organization that we're in, uh, the Rehab Center, we'll pay the flights and we're coming. So six or seven of them said, we're going to be there, we want to see the exhibition. It took so many years, we would love to see it. So yeah, that would be great. And so when they came, you know, we, we used that moment to, to just basically, uh, I asked them a few questions and, uh, and that was it. And um, some, some of the same questions that I knew from their stories and they answered something like, you know, basically what it means to be a mother, which was, which we wanted to highlight with, you know, something that, you know, a mother is a mother. It doesn't, the addiction doesn't ever overpower that. It doesn't That's ever right. take over. And so they had three questions and they answered it. And so once we were done, we were sitting in the post-production saying, oh, this is interesting. Let's, let's see what it can be. And then we sent it to festivals and then it did quite, quite good for, for not, you know, not, not being planned to be a short film. Was, <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Did you interview the children at all or mostly just the mothers? You are listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story to tell, go to our Facebook page by the same name or email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727-314-7080. For more information on our sponsor, Narcanon Ojai, visit their website at narcanonojai.org. That's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N-O-J-A-I.org. Or call 866-231-5924. That's 866-231-5924. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast and get a 10% discount or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word 
podcast for a 10% discount. Once again, 833-918-0008 or newmaninterventions.com. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. Um, when I was doing the book, you know, we were in different um, different houses, different centers for um, for recovery, and we, and we met. When I say we, I mean my 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 producer friend and I, because it just was two of us. Um, we met different people. We met different women from different stages in the recovery, different. Um, different social background, different different race, different age, and um, and it was really interesting because when the kids were there, we were able to to get the kids that that day the children to take the picture. Then some some children when they were at the age, we talked to them, and that was really incredible. Like for example, one woman, she had no custody of none of her five kids, and uh, the program said, you know what, we know where the kids are, and we're gonna bring them for for this portrait. And so in my mind, I was feeling, I said, like you know, there at at um, um, at other families, and how will they react when they see their mom? Because I felt always, how would I react? You know, how would I know? probably I would fake it to be some sort of happy or not happy, but the picture will not be what, it, what I imagine it to be. Right. I just feel like small kids cannot really fake nothing. They will just be either angry or, or, so it was really strange to see that. You know, we didn't really know what was going to happen. And I must say, this is something that really moved me and really struck me because uh, this woman fought really, really hard in her life. Her name is Tabata. Um, and all of her five kids are in different families. So when they came, this was a moment of that I just I, I, I had to hide behind my camera because it was just like couldn't hold my tears. It was um, you know they it was they just like hugged her and didn't let go and and it didn't matter that we were there to take a picture. It was just they didn't let go and it was something incredible to see because you realize um, a mother's love and and, and the children they they. they even though they knew something was not right, they're not with their mother. There was no no uh, anger. There was nothing to, they didn't blame her. So wow. we as a society, we blame those women, but the, the children don't. They don't do that. They are, they, they see them, they see, they saw that woman as a mother. And, and that was some, to me something that I really wanted to take out from, um, from this project. I, I was hoping this going to come out, you know, at the end, in the film and in the book. Wow, you got me. Sorry. <laughs> that uh, wow, that's pretty emotional. What is next for your film? Where is it going to go, and what's next for you? So um, the um, letter to another project. The last iteration of this project was um, um, basically a, um, a performance piece with um, Santa Maria Hostel. I don't know if you know them. They are um, in Houston, Texas, and this is a, um, a place where a mother and a child can come in. It's basically recovery for the mother, but they allow the child to be there with her, which helps enormously. Right. And uh, this program was very dear to me. I, I mean, I met them in 2013 when, when I took pictures, and they, they, allowed me, they allowed us to get in there and photograph, I think, 10 women from the program. And um, this was the most intense experience I ever had. This, this was really, really intense because these were cases of people who um, later on, after the book was done, they had to uh, discover that um, half of, of the woman basically overdosed 
and they're not there anymore. And this was really harsh. Also, the letters that came out from there were really, really hard cases and really difficult to digest. Um, so I wanted to do always something with them that um, basically go back and do something because when I saw what, what they do there, I felt that was such a big mission and such something that the world needs to see and needs to experience a bit more. So last year, I um, the Levinson Foundation in Texas, which is a foundation that uh, helps women in um, around the world who struggle with addiction, who struggle like with um, um, domestic abuse. Um, we teamed up with them and uh, they basically commissioned um, a sculptural piece, uh, which um, I did. Um, it was basically a rhombus. I proposed this rhombus-shaped table, which is a diamond-shaped table. And diamond is a symbol of motherhood in many old traditions in Europe. And I used it in my first project, um, that rhombus shape. So I, I basically did this with out of salvaged wood. We did that table and uh, we used bronze nails and I invited uh, the mothers from Santa Maria Hostel to carve their name onto the table and 180 mothers participated. And so we, we left that piece uh, there and so they're using it as part of their program. So whoever makes it in uh, like a month, so because most of the people don't make it through the, throughout the month, so they, they basically leave or escape. And so if they make it through the month there, they, give it, they get the chance to carve their names. So by now we have around 560 names carved wow. onto the table. And it's really a massive piece of wood. I can send you pictures. And just shows how um, the magnitude of this uh, epidemic that we have in our country. And it shows this commitment. So basically I have the, we recorded also the documentation of the performance. And you can see this wood is really uh, tough. It's an oak wood that was from the 70s, salvaged from a woman's factory in, in Pennsylvania where women work, um, and, um, and it's very hard to carve in. So you see this, some people, like some women, like carve very easily and then let go, and some carve really emotionally, like for, for half an hour straight through. And it was really powerful to, in a different way, to talk, to basically um, do something with, with, um, with that project and, and just bring it somewhere else and do some, some of a different kind of symbolic gesture about it. Wow. Are those pictures of the table, are they on your website or on the web anywhere um, that people can see them? Not yet. Okay. That will be, um, we just finished the documentation of, of the pictures and, um, and the video. So it'll be, it'll be online in a couple of days. Okay. And if, if someone wanted to watch Letter to My Mother, is there a way they can do that? Yes. Um, after two years of uh, the film traveling through film festivals, and uh, we screened it several times. Just yesterday, there was a screening in Tampa Bay in um, a film festival, humanitarian film festival. And um, a day before that, it was in New York City in, um, uh, what was it, Fort Fordham College. So it's constantly screening. So, but I decided that this is not something that it should be just for like, you know, whenever it's screened and, and the people are about there. So I made it public um, online, like basically it's available online. Anyone can see it. We will share it on YouTube as well. For now it's um, on Vimeo. And um, it's just, I feel like this message and the, the message that those women share should be heard more. So it's um, basically anyone can just type in letters to my mother and, and press some video and it's going to come up. That's awesome. So now it's on Vimeo, but it will be on YouTube eventually. It will be, it will be, yeah. Your book, is your book available? 
Because I looked on Amazon US and I didn't find it there. Yes, so we had we made thousand copies um, with okay. the first batch, and then once the exhibition started, and you know we started showing the the, the, the project in in different places around um, and the, the, or basically around the country, the book started selling quickly, and uh, a lot of it was just by the time of the end of two thousand sixteen, it was half gone. Now we have uh, I think fifty copies left. Uh, I would love to send you one. Um, I would love it. Yes, I will send you you and Steve one. Okay. And um, but it is available still at Rizzoli in in Rizzoli bookstore and I think on Amazon. I'm not sure they should be, but they are probably like um, used. They're not. I don't think there are new ones available anymore because the publisher. We we are talking right now with him to go into the second um, edition, and so we're we're just. Um, talking through logistics for now those 50 are left and i think at Rizzoli bookstore in new york they're still available online okay well when you republish it be sure and let us know so that i can mention it on the podcast so that the people who listen can get a hold of the book Mm -hmm. i will definitely okay good so the way i kind of like to end these interviews is i know that we have listeners who are recovering addicts i know we have listeners who are still addicts, and, but I think that the majority of our listeners are friends and family of addicts. So if you could just give them any message, what would it be? Hmm. The message, I feel like I myself, um, I, I am part of this community, like my mother was a part of the community, and it's very dear and important to me. So, I um, the message. Um, I feel like I'm not um, privileged to say this message, but if I could tell anyone, it's just to never feel that this is something to be ashamed of. Um, I think never. This is like anything else that we in in you know in. In, in our life with, with sickness and disease and health issues we deal with, it should be addressed like that. And I hope in 10, 20 years from now, we will look back at this time that we are in right now and we will, and the generation then will feel ashamed how we were. Uh, because same thing when you look at different uh, mental issues with the way we were dealing in the beginning of the century, it was wrong. We just didn't know better. And I think um, my message would be just to feel that this is just something that, you know, like my brother doesn't have the addictive um, personality like I do. So I, I cannot drink anymore. I cannot go for a beer. I just have to constantly live with the shadow um, that I know that comes like my mother had and just feel step every day. It's um, a day. And um, when I go with friends, I have to be like careful and knowing like when I have to just leave before, before I say, oh, well, I, I will do a glass of beer or I'll do a a glass of wine and, and that will not be good for me. So I think um, the message would just be like, just be yourself and, and don't, don't believe that this is, this is something to be ashamed of. That's awesome. I appreciate it so much. Branislav, thank you so much for sharing your story and telling us all about your film. I, I really do applaud your efforts. Um, the more we can shed a light from every angle on this problem, the better off we're going to be. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Um, I wish you um, good luck with, I think, your podcast. And, and it's very, very important. I'm looking 
put forward to see the video interviews awesome. in the future, which I think will bring faces between behind the voices. Yeah. Awesome. I don't always get emotional with the interviews that we do. But when Branislav spoke about the five children who were in five different homes coming together to see their mother in the treatment center, that really got to me. I don't know if you could see it on camera or not, if, if this ends up being a video and when it's on, but it definitely, definitely got to me. So um, I hope that his interview resonated with you. Um, this is kind of a, a, a view we've somewhat had before, but slightly different as always. And I hope that, I hope that you got something from it. Once again, just as a reminder, please subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star rating because that helps people find us wherever they're listening to podcasts. And our whole point is to get out the word about hope and about help. And once again, we're headed into the holidays. Please get your loved one into treatment. And if you are addicted, get into treatment now. Don't figure that you're just going to hang around for the holidays. It's going to be in the long run much better if you get help and you get into recovery and you get clean and sober. So don't wait. We are smack dab in the middle of the holidays. Please, please, please get help. Get it now. And I will talk to you next week. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast. Point of No Return. Sponsored by Narcanon Ojai. For more information on Narcanon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcanonojai.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.